Well, good evening, friends. It's really good to be with you tonight. Uh, thank you for your very warm uh, welcome and for the invitation uh, to come and to share in this uh, series on the Psalms. I've been looking forward for some time uh, to coming and being with you uh, this evening. Though, mind you, when I walked in, I thought for a moment I was in the wrong place. But uh, it's uh, delightful to see uh, the developments that there have been in your building in recent times. Now, we're turning tonight in God's Word to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. It's a fairly well-known psalm, but it's quite a long psalm. And we'll read it together, first of all, before we come to consider it. Psalm 37, from the beginning. Fret not yourself. Because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword <coughs> shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. The wicked borrows but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. 
for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away and behold, he was no more. Though I saw him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Amen. Now I want you to think for a moment about two families. Uh, they live side by side. They're next door neighbors. Here's a family with mum and dad and two children, a son and a daughter. Uh, they're Christians. Dad is a teacher, uh, but things aren't working out very well. Sadly, his school has had to close and uh, he is having trouble getting a permanent job. He, He's uh, doing some subbing and getting a little bit of work, but he has no fixed and settled contract. Mum, in order to make ends meet and to help out financially, has had to take a job in a local shop from 7 to 11 every evening, Monday to Friday. The son in this uh, Christian family is sadly suffering from depression and has not been at school for quite a long time. He is aged 17. The daughter is 14 and seems to be doing okay. Joined onto them, and they're semi-detached, their next door neighbor, there's another family, mom and dad, a son and a daughter. They are not Christians. Dad has a business. He's a bookmaker, sometimes referred to as a bookie. Mum is a hairdresser and she has her own hairdressing salon. It's very, uh, very well supported. It's got a good reputation. Uh, she can do whatever needs to be done with your hair. Uh, for ladies, that is. And uh, it, it's very popular and very prosperous. The son who is 19 is a personal trainer, which I understand is someone who helps you out in the gym and shows you how to use the kit. And generally 
works on your fitness. He's getting on well uh, doing personal training. The daughter is 17. She's in what I would call lower sick, but many might refer to it as year 13. She kind of scraped in there with eight A stars and two A's in her GCSE. On the driveway, you will find a Porsche and a BMW. Does that seem fair to you? Here they are. A lovely Christian family who are really serious about the Christian faith. Read the Bible together, pray every day, or wanting to honor the Lord in their lives. Just look at the troubles they're having. Well, it's next door. I don't want to be disrespectful, but they have absolutely no interest in God at all. None. And yet, materially and financially, they're going on very nicely, thank you. Why is this happening? Why does it happen that sometimes God's people, who the psalmist here calls the righteous, are struggling, afflicted, experiencing trials, going through hard times, when those who are not Christians, whom the psalmist here refers to as the wicked, they seem to prosper. They seem to be getting on fine to have very few issues in life. It's this question. Why do the righteous struggle when the wicked seem to prosper? That is the backdrop to this psalm. It's not expressly stated in that way in any part of the psalm, but nevertheless, it's the backdrop to the whole psalm. Many among God's people are wrestling with this question and struggling with this issue. Why do the wicked prosper when the righteous are often struggling? And what we have here is really a teaching psalm, a didactic psalm. A psalm in which David the psalmist is bringing to God's people the word of the Lord. It is God's word to a people who are struggling with this question. Why do the wicked prosper whenever God's people are so often afflicted? And I think you'll see instantly that what the Lord is saying through David here in this psalm to the people in his day is fantastically relevant to us tonight. Because this is a question that we often wrestle with as well. Those who are Christians, those who love the Lord, those who have faith in Jesus Christ are often struggling and finding it hard to get on in life and to manage. And it seems to us that many of the ungodly are doing well, flourishing, living a life of ease. Here is God's word to his struggling people. I think there are six things that God is saying here in this psalm as this problem question is answered. The first is this. Keep calm. Keep calm. Or as Corporal Jones would say, don't panic. Verse 1. Fret 
not. Verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not. Now, I've got to confess to you, this word fret isn't a word I use a great deal. You know, if you say to me, how are you doing? I wouldn't say, well, I'm fretting today. Um, maybe you do, and, and that's fine. There's no problem if you, if you, if you want to use it. Uh, I don't use it personally, but it's a great word, isn't it? Fret. Well, what exactly does it mean? Well, to, to fret is to get yourself all agitated, all frenzied, all worked up. Mm, people have different expressions for that, haven't they? Uh, and uh, people would talk about, um, she's in a tizzy. Hmm? She's in a tizzy. You know what that means. She's all frazzled and hassled and agitated and, and annoyed. Uh, and that's the whole idea behind this word fret. Uh, and the Lord is saying, don't fret. Calm down. Don't panic. One of my favorite texts in the whole of the Bible is in 2 Timothy 4 and at verse 5. Now in Stramillus we also use the ESV. And uh, it's a good translation in every way, and I'm very uh, fond of it, but I prefer the NIV translation at this particular point. For this is how the NIV renders 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5. Keep your head in every situation. Isn't that good? Keep your head. There are lots of things that would turn our heads. But keep your heads. Keep calm. Don't panic. Don't fret. Don't get all worked up and agitated. And one of the reasons that we're not to get overly agitated is that that kind of attitude and spirit doesn't sit easily with godliness. The godly man or godly woman is is not a man or woman who's all worked up and agitated and frenzied and is going red in the head. The psalmist tells us that. Verse 8 again, refrain from anger, forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. If you want to be a godly man or a godly woman, then don't get into agitation. Don't get yourself all wound up about things. Keep calm, says the Lord. The second thing which God says here through David to an agitated people is, I am in control. The Lord says, I am in control. Don't you see it there in verse 12? The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. The Lord laughs at the wicked. It's an unusual expression, isn't it? But it is a, a little reminder to us of what we find in Psalm 2 as, as well, uh, where you have these wicked nations that are rising up in rebellion against the Lord. And we're told by the psalmist in Psalm 2, 4, He who sits in the le- heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Where is the authority? Where is the power? Where is the control? With the wicked and the godless who seem so strong and so mighty, so, if I may use that expression, so in your face? No. 
power and control and authority is with God, the Lord, our King, who reigns. For quite a number of years, I was involved with my wife in one of our church camps. It was for young children aged 8 to 11 years of age, and we enjoyed it immensely. Uh, Every Friday evening, the last evening of camp, there was always a pillow fight. One year, it went kind of badly wrong. Uh, A boy, um, don't listen to this if you're a younger person, uh, a boy put a shoe down his pillow. And as he was bashing people, he obviously bashed the girl over the head, and there was a shoe in the pillow, and, and she got hurt. So uh, we devise a new form of pillow fight on the Friday evening. Uh, the leaders thought it was very strange, but I thought it was okay. It was a controlled pillow fight. Um, everybody was brought into the sports hall. Uh, benches, those benches that you get in a gym, they were all put round the side. And there was a zone there where you could engage in a pillow fight. Your pillow was searched on the way in to make sure that there were no shoes or any other items in there that might cause harm. Uh, and the, these young children, they, they got out there with their pillows and they started bashing each other uh, over the heads and it was, all, it was all fine, but it was also chaos. If you had walked into that gym, you would have thought, this is chaos. Look at this. There's these kids running around all over the place, bashing each other with pillows. There's no control here. This place is a mess. Um, but, you know, I was in charge. I knew most of these children because they came to the church and I knew their parents as well. And they knew that I knew their parents. Always an advantage at camp. I knew that at any moment I could blow a whistle and bring order to that chaos. And here are the wicked. They're so strident. They seem so powerful, so brash, so able to do all kinds of things. They feel that they're in control, that they have authority, that power rests with them. But things are not as they seem. God is in control. And he's saying to us this evening, don't panic. I'm in control. And thirdly this, trust in me. There's a whole series of beautiful statements here. Take a look at them, please. Verse 3, trust in the Lord. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Verse 7, be still before the Lord. Verse 34, wait for the Lord. Oh, you could preach a sermon on each one of these statements. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Wait for the Lord. A people agitated because the wicked seem to be prospering. They seem to have authority. They seem to be in charge. And God comes to them through David and says, Calm down. I'm in control. Trust in me. I think we get a beautiful example of that in 2 Kings chapter 6. We don't have time to go into all the background here of what's going on in this incident. But in 2 Kings chapter uh, 6, we're... Uh, encountering Elisha and his servant. They're in a city called Dothan, and the king of Syria has brought his army to surround the city of Dothan. It is the intention of the king of Syria to arrest Elisha and his servants. 
And uh, the servant of Elisha, 2 Kings 6.15, rises early in the morning and sees an army with horses and chariots all around the city. And the servant says, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha says, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Don't panic. The wicked are strident, powerful, influential, dominant. But I'm in control, says God. Trust in me. Just like Elisha's servant here is in a blind panic and he fears that the godless army of Syria is about to capture him, yes, even kill him. But God shows him that the angels of God are there. That God is there to protect and preserve and to watch over them. Trust in me. But something else, fourthly, that God says to his people here is count your blessings. Things are tough. If the wicked are strident, they're brash, they're very forward. But pause for a moment amidst all the struggles and count your blessings. What are those blessings? We'll take a look at some of them that are mentioned here, especially in verse 24. We are told that though he fall, the righteous man, that's not a fall into sin. It's not a moral failure. It's um, a trial. It's a, a big blow that he experiences in his life. It's, it's a difficult situation that almost overwhelms him. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. The Lord is always with his people. Even in the darkest moments when things seem at their worst, the Lord is always with his people. Again and again, the psalmist mentions this here. Verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the blameless. Verse 28, the Lord will not forsake his saints. Verse 39, the second half, he is their stronghold in the time of trouble. And then David does a little bit of reminiscing himself in verse 25. He says, I have been young and now I am, I am old, but I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. Count your blessings. Even though things are tough, even though the wicked are strident, even though the godless seem to prevail, keep calm. I am in control. Trust in me. Things aren't as they seem to you. And remember, I haven't forsaken you. I continue to bless you and to be with you and to sustain you and to help you and to provide for you. But something else the Lord says here. You'll have noticed this as we read. There's an expression that keeps recurring again and again in the psalm. Verse 9. The evildoers shall be cut off. Verse 20. The wicked will perish. Verse 28, the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Verse 34, you will look on when the wicked are cut off. 
Verse 38, the transgressor shall be destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. Remember the future of the wicked. Now people get very uncomfortable when we talk about this today. 2020. People get very uncomfortable. People want to say to you, look, wait a minute, this is the new Northern Ireland, whatever that means. This is the new Northern Ireland, and don't be, you know, don't be talking about hell. That's kind of whew, the sort of thing our granny was into in the past. It's very negative. It's not affirming. Don't be talking about that. Well, tell me how I preach in Psalm 37 and don't speak about this. Hmm? That would be some sermon. When this expression, the wicked will be cut off, occurs again and again in the psalm. What does it mean? It's speaking to, about the judgment of the wicked. It's speaking about the fact that they may prosper now. They may seem to do well now. They may seem to have control and authority and power and influence. But it's only for a time. And one day they will be cut off. It speaks of the judgment of God. It's probably looking forward, probably looking forward to the day of judgment itself. So don't be envious of them, says the Lord. They may seem to be faring better in this life than you are. That, that might be the case. But it's only for a time until they're cut off. I think the final thing that the Lord is saying here to the righteous, to his people, remember your own future. Keep calm. I'm in control. Trust me. Trust me. Things aren't as they seem. Count your blessings. I haven't utterly forsaken you. I'm still with you, leading you, providing for you, helping you. And remember, the, the wicked, they're, they're going to be cut off. Their, their prosperity is only for a time. And remember your own future. Now, there are many verses I could quote here, but we're going to restrict ourselves to 27 to 29. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice, he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Now there's quite a debate as to what these verses mean. Especially the expression in verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land. What is the land that has been spoken about here? Well, there is a sense in which, yes, at first glance, it seems to refer to the land of Canaan, to the promised land, to that inheritance which God gave to his people. But I think there's something else in here. And it's that expression, forever. Don't you see it? Verse 27, verse 28, verse 29. 
forever. Now, how are we to understand that? I've read up just a little on this, what different people's views are on these verses and on this expression here and, and what it exactly it's referring to. And do you know the conclusion I came to? You'll, you'll, you'll be amazed at its profundity. I decided that forever meant forever. Forever. Here's what the Lord is saying. Calm down. Yes, it's tough. I think godless are abounding. But you who are righteous, you who know me, you who have faith in me, you who are trusting in me, you're going to be with me forever. Forever. The righteous, the, the wicked will be cut off. They will be cut off. But you, the righteous, will be with me forever. It's a reference to heaven. It's a prophetic word, really looking forward to the glory and perfection of heaven, to being in the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever, time without end, never being bored, never being dissatisfied, but being constantly in the presence of the Lord forever and ever and ever. That's your future, says the Lord. Don't get yourselves agitated about these men and women who are so strident and powerful and wealthy and rich and brash. Just think about what's in store for you, the perfection and glory of heaven, where you will be with me forever. The prosperity of the wicked is passing, it's fleeting, it's not lasting. But to have faith in me and to be with me, that's an eternal blessing. And there's nothing, nothing, nothing can compare to this. So I hope this evening as we close that uh, this is what you're looking forward to. The, the psalm is fairly stark, isn't it? The wicked and the righteous. Uh, no messing about with the psalmist here. The wicked and the righteous. So the bottom line is that you and me tonight, we're... We're either among the wicked or the righteous. And I trust tonight that you do know the Lord. That you have faith in God our Savior and in His Son, Jesus Christ. And that you're looking forward to being with Him forever. Amen.